If you didn't turn yet, go ahead and get to Hebrews, and uh, I'll explain what it's going to be like this morning. Um, So far, we've been in this series called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, and I'm kind of curious, you remember the first week, what were the Technically, the, the title and the name that we unwrapped that first Christmas sun, or Christ, uh, Advent Sunday. Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. What was the second one last week? Yeah, you hear somebody roar, you get that. I love it. And today we're going to be looking at the great high priest. We're actually going to be in obedience to the command in the book of Hebrews chapter, I think it's two or three. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider, think deeply about, reckon Jesus, the apostle, and the what? High priest priest of our confession. So we're going to be doing that this morning. But I want to go ahead and let you know, there's kind of two things uh, about this that that will will seem strange. First, um, there's something uncultural about this. I'll explain. That's a made-up word, but I get to do that. An uncultural thing and an uncomfortable thing about looking at Jesus as the high priest. First, let's look at the uncultural thing, right? Uh, Is there a local place you go to uh, to find a a priest in your ordinary, normal routine of life? Well, I mean, if you're in the Catholic Church, yeah, that's where you would go, right? But, But culturally speaking, especially as Protestant evangelicals, we we don't have priests, right? Trick question. You're a priest, right? It's called the priesthood of the saints. I'll explain that in a little bit. But we don't have priests today, particularly in the function that they used to be in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. I'll explain that in a little bit. Uh, and so it's, it seems to be kind of irrelevant to us. It seems to be out of touch to us. And not only because it's not an uncultural thing, it's not known really well in our culture, but also it's in that part of your Bible reading plan that you probably quit at, right? When you, when you start in Genesis and you, you get to Exodus and then you're like, well, ex, Exodus, okay. And then, and then you start Leviticus and you're like, no, I'm going to the New Testament, right? That's usually how it goes. Almost everything about the life of the priest and the high priest is found in the end of Exodus and in Leviticus, rehashed in Deuteronomy at some points. Um, and so this is a very kind of, uh, it's kind of out there thing for some of us. It might not be uh, understood well. Uh, if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, you, 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 you know it all too well. You actually have uh, to go to the priest in order to make additional atonement for your sin per se in some regards. But But just because the priesthood, this understanding of the priesthood, is something that's kind of distant, it's out of touch in some ways, it's not really well known among us, doesn't mean that it's unimportant and unnecessary. It's actually quite necessary. Now also, so I said there were two things about looking at Jesus as the high priest. First, it was uncultural. The second thing, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because uh, the need for the priest particularly deals with our sinfulness, which what does that have to mean about us, that we're, we're sinful, that we kind of need to work on that, that we need improvement there, that we need help there, that we need assistance there, that we can't handle it on our own, which means you, you kind of have to come to uh, understanding Jesus as a priest or the high priest with the, with the supposition already I need one. <laughs> I'm sinful. I'm broken. So, so if you're here today and you've got no sin in your life, 
uh, this won't make any sense to you, and I actually really want to meet you um, because it'd be great to get to know who you are. Um, uh, in fact, forget Jesus, you're great. You're, you're who should we should be worshiping, per se. No. Uh, every, how many of us just, we know it, we, we agree. Are we all in the same boat when we say, yeah, I'm sinful? Some of you aren't raising your hands. I'm guessing you're just agreeing up here. Uh, I'm going to believe that because that's like primary to the gospel, okay? Just saying. But we have to be able to say, yeah, I, I mess up. Yes, I'm broken. Yes, I need a priest. And here's one of the main things that Scripture is going to tell us over and over and over again is that we all need a priest to make atonement for our sins, to provide access to God. Not a single one of us can escape that need. Now, we're, if you're thinking New Covenant, New Testament, Roman Catholic Church, you're thinking, oh man, uh, wait, so where, where's our confessor? Confe- what's that place you go? The little booth where they sit and you confess to one another, and, and then they say, do this, and you get to fix everything, Right? Was that what we're talking about? No, no, no. No, we're, we're going to find out that we have a high priest who has already offered everything necessary to atone for our sin and to give us access to the Father. We have a great high priest, and his name is Jesus. We're going to find out why we need a high priest today. We're going to find out how Jesus is the great high priest. Now, We're going to do that through looking at Jesus through the book of Hebrews, right? So if you haven't turned to to Hebrews yet, go ahead and get there. And and here's uh, what's so amazing about Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is constantly saying, yeah, but Jesus is better. He's got a better covenant. He's a better Moses. He's better than the angels. Like, and it just keeps going on and on and on about how Jesus is better. And we're going to see uh, the theme throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is a better high priest. He's a better high priest. Now, it doesn't just say that he's a high priest among many. He is the better one. Now, what's hard is, if you were to, I read through the book of Hebrews twice this week. Uh, and it turns out you can't just go to one single spot and find out what means that Jesus is a high priest. The theme of high priest in the book of Hebrews starts at chapter 2 and ends at chapter 13. (laughs) And I'm not sure all of you want to be here that long to go verse by verse, so here's what we're going to do. How many of you grew up with sword drills as a child, right? You remember how those worked, right? And somebody would say the verse... Romans 5.8, and then everybody like, Romans 5.8, charge! And then everybody, get there, and then they stand up and be like, Romans 5.8, I got this, right? We're going to do that this morning, except you don't have to make weird noises as you do it, and uh, we're going to be dancing throughout the book of Hebrews. So I'm, gonna ha- I'm not going to have much up on the screen. I want you to get really well at handling your sword. So be in the book of Hebrews. We're going to jump back and forth throughout the book as we go. So I first want you in Hebrews chapter 9. Charge! Hebrews chapter 9. Because it'll be helpful for us to understand what a priest did and what the high priest did. And the book of Hebrews actually does that job for us. There's a section in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 where the author tells us what the role of the priest was and what the role of the high priest was in the tabernacle and all those things. So I'm going to let them explain it well for us. It starts in chapter 9, verse 1. Again, 
We're looking at how, in the Old Testament, the priest and high priest function. Now, the first covenant, which is, again, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place. It had the gold altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which was a gold star containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Those are all the Old Testament images and items, so, so if you want to check up on that, you, you definitely do. It's beautiful. Verse 5, the cherubim of glory were above the ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail now, but with these things prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. So we'll pause there for a second. So you have the elements, you have the structure of the tents, right? The tabernacle is what it's called. Later it was the temple. And, and you have these priests going in repeatedly to that outer court, to the, the holy place. And, and they would do their ministry. That's literally what he says, performing their ministry. Well, what was their ministry? The priest on a daily schedule would help every Israelite with their sin, to atone for it. Now, I want to try to make this as personal as possible. Imagine that you have just lied or you've stolen, um, and you know that that is interrupting your relationship with God. In the Old Covenant, it was required that when you've committed a sin, you were to go to the tabernacle or to the temple and you were to consult with a priest. And the priest's job, their ministry, was to counsel you on how to make things right with the Lord. Every sin had a specific, specifically required sacrifice to be made. Whether it was to use a young bull or a goat or a bird or flower. And it, sometimes it depended on your economic status. But every sin required a specific sacrifice. And the priest's responsibility was to know what was required and to help you accomplish it, help you bring it about. They would collect your young bull or, or your goat or your lamb or whatever you brought according to that sacrifice and what it, need, what it needed. And they would go to the altar and they would sacrifice it on your behalf. And then they would go and sprinkle the blood in the tabernacle. Can you see how personal that is? Like how intimate that is for the sinner coming to the priest? Yeah, I just, I just got, this, got in this fight with my wife. And, and I said some really, really mean things with her. And, and, and called her certain names. And, and, and I know it, it degraded my wife. And I need to confess that. And I, wanna, I want to be rid of the guilt. And the, the priest would counsel and would offer sacrifice on your behalf. Like, like that's, that's incredibly personal. Can you imagine having a priest when you come with that sort of weight on you and the priest is like, all right, you got to do this, go do that, and then you'll take care of it, you're good. 
and they're just distant, they're, they're off-putting, they're, they're just like, they, they really, their hearts are far from it. That was one of the biggest problems the priests had in the Old Testament, is that their hearts were far from offering the sacrifice, far from the Lord. But that's not just what the high priest does. You see, that was just the daily routine of every priest in the temple if they were on schedule, uh, if it was their uh, schedule to do it. And then there was the high priest. The high priest oversaw all of the work of those ministers, all of the work of the priests, but the high priest had a very unique and specific role. You kind of read a little bit about what the, the priest did, but keep Keep reading in verse 7 of chapter 9. Verse 7. But the high priest alone, only the high priest, enters the second room. Remember where all of those really holy things are, where the ark is, where the mercy seat is, where the cherubim are covering over it. Only the high priest enters into that second room. And he does it how often? Once a year. And he never goes in without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people, sorry, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. This is the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur. This is what we call the Day of Atonement, right? The high priest on this day, one day a year, would go into the most holy place and there's, there's word that sometimes he would go in with bells to make sure that if he died, they heard him fall. <laughs> I, I think I've heard that once, they, 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 once that they would go in with a rope tied on their ankle just in case they pass out so they could pull him out of the Holy of Holies, right? Like, like it's a very serious encounter with God. And what they would do is the high priest would bring two goats to be sacrificed in a way. One of them, they would slay and take the blood, and that would be the blood that they would go in and sprinkle on the mercy seat and on the ark. But then, but then there was the second goat, which we kind of call the scapegoat. No, that's not somebody at work that you try to blame everybody for your errors. That's, that's a, something from Jewish history where the high priest, after he had made atonement and offered the blood in the Holy of Holies, he would uh, take uh, this other goat both of which had to be unblemished and, and spotless. And he would pray over the goat and confess the sins of all of Israel onto this one goat. And then they would release it into the wilderness and the goat would run off and disappear, showing symbolically how all of the sins have been, of the people have been carried off from them for that year. So there's a lot of rich history with all of this. And if you're, if you're squeamish with it when it comes to blood, I'm, that's pretty much all I'm talking about all day. So sorry. Um, we're, we're dealing with the blood of Jesus here. But there were several problems with this system. There wasn't errors, but it wasn't complete, right? This system never fully worked to satisfy the wrath of God. And, and not only that, but I mentioned earlier that these earthly priests, they were humans too. And what's the problem with humanity? We broke. We done broke. We broke. We're, we're messed up, right? These, these earthly priests, they were, they were just as sinful. They needed atoning too. And so they'd offer their own sacrifices. 
but also they would offer sacrifices with little to no reverence to the Lord. But there was another problem, and it's actually in chapter 10, verse 4. So you might have to turn one page, it's just one verse. Let's start at verse 3 in chapter 10. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, this isn't saying that it's impossible, it's, it was impossible to atone for sin. This, the problem is, sin doesn't just need to be atoned for, it needs to be removed. It needs to be taken away. We need to be cleansed. And the sacrifices of the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and, and quails or flour, whatever they could bring, none of it actually worked to cleanse them, to take away sin. It just atoned for it like a divine credit card. You know those credit card bills, right? You keep swiping, you keep offering the sacrifice, you still got to pay, right? It's, it's not just all oh, money in the cloud, you still got to pay. The debt's going to be owed. So that was one of the biggest issues with the Old Covenant. It didn't actually remove sin. didn't take it away. Those sacrifices were not taking what needed to be taken away. And so we have this Old Covenant system. Sufficient but not perfect. Able to atone but not able to remove sin. And here we have Jesus riding onto the scene as an infant in a manger who, after his earthly ministry, was declared by the Father as the great high priest. Now, Hebrews does so much to explain to us what the great high priest is. I'm only going to be able to explore kind of three main points of what it means that Jesus is a high priest. So here's the first big point that Jesus, as the high priest, offered the perfect final sacrifice. Can you read this with me? Jesus offered the perfect final sacrifice. Let's turn it back to Hebrews 9. Look at verse 11. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cows, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more, how much able, more able, how much better will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. You see how Christ's blood, his sacrifice is able to do what the blood of uh, the bulls and goats couldn't, to cleanse, to take away sin. We needed a sacrifice that didn't just purify the physical, the flesh. We needed a sacrifice that would cleanse us inwardly. And Jesus offers that sacrifice. Now, this is a, this is a, a, 
a softball question. What was the sacrifice that he offered? His self, his own self, his body and his blood. You remember how on the Day of Atonement, those two goats, along with any really other sacrifice that was going to be offered in the temple, had to be unblemished. It had to be perfect. There could be no stain on it in the slightest. Jesus was required to be perfect in order to fulfill the sacrifice needed. And so what we find out as you read through his life, as you hear the testimonies provided by the apostles throughout the New Testament, that Jesus was fully devoted to God in every way. That he had perfect love for his Father and perfect submission to his will. Therefore, Jesus in no way ever sinned, whether by deeds of omission or commission. And therefore, he realized the perfection in himself that was required for the remission of all sin. We find that Jesus lived a perfect life so that Jesus could pay it all. Look at Hebrews 7. Dance over there for me. Hebrews 7, 26 through 27. You see, we desperately needed a high priest who was perfect. And we needed a sacrifice that was perfect. Look at verse 26. For this is the kind of high priest we need. Huh. Holy. Innocent. Undefiled. Separated from sinners. And exalted above the heavens. Huh. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. First for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. (laughs) Once for all time. Once for all time. Past, present, future. Jesus' sacrifice is enough to pay for all sin for all time. The moment time came into existence to when the earth fell, Jesus' blood covers it all. And so he doesn't have to offer multiple sacrifices. He just offers the one. Go back to Hebrews 10. I told you we're dancing. You might go back to a place we just were. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 12. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 12. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. You see how problematic that is? We're going to run out of animals. We ain't got no more to offer. But this man, this Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Mic drop. Right? He's a one-hit wonder. Once and done. He's got one hit, one sacrifice made, takes care of it all, and he goes and he sits down at his, right, his father's right hand. He's done. The deal is done. The sacrifice has been made. There ain't no more need for priests offering sacrifices anymore. So he offered 
the perfect and the final sacrifice for all who call on his name. And you know what this means for us? And this is the thing that I think I've been meditating on most all week this week. This means that nothing that we do as Christians ought to ever be motivated as a, as a means of trying to make things right with God. Oh, I, I did this. I've got to make it up to Him. Like, like have, you, have, you, have you forgotten what, what this just said, right? Like, like, He offered the final sacrifice once and for all. It was perfect, and He sat down, which means you can sit down too with Him. Like, like, nothing in your relationship with God is ever going to make things right because of something you did. I mean, as Christians, you know, we all stumble. There's ways that as we're running, we might fall, right? But, but we don't have to get up with the mindset of, well, I've got to make it right. I've got, to, I've got to do something to make it right. Let me go offer this much sacrifice or let me go say this 500 times and hails this, right? What? No, no. Literally, it's all been done. For you, which means none of what you do in this life as a follower of Jesus ought to ever be motivated by guilt to make things right with God. In fact, when you fall, you stumble, stay on your knees for a little bit and thank Jesus. Hey, I know I'm down here. But Jesus, you made it so I don't have to make things right because I know I couldn't. Jesus, you have done it all. You've paid it all. And I thank you for this gospel. One of the hardest things to do after you sin is run to the cross. Because our, our intention, our, our motives most often are to, to try to get up and strengthen and muscle up some more and get better at this, right? No, 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 no. When you stumble and you fall as a Christian, you come and you kneel before the cross and you say, thank you, Jesus, for offering the final perfect sacrifice so I don't have to. We always run back to the sacrifice that Jesus made every time. There's never a point where you leave that. No matter how long you run with Jesus. You know, we, uh, we sang a few weeks ago Charles Wesley's Christmas hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And one of the last words in it says, By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. By everything that he's accomplished, by everything that he's offered, his sufficient merit. That is how we're raised to his throne of grace. So this is the first point about how Jesus is a high priest. He offered the final perfect sacrifice. No more sacrifice is needed. Now we move into a second point in the book of Hebrews because we are going to find out that Jesus as our high priest, he's superior to the Old Testament priest and the whole Testament high priest because Jesus doesn't minister in a tabernacle. His ministry is in heaven itself. This is one of the most amazing parts about Jesus as the high priest. Jesus is the heavenly high priest now on high. Can you read that with me? Jesus is the heavenly high priest now on high. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. 
Told you, we're dancing. Your toes might get sore. Maybe because I'm stepping on them or whatever. Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 5. Now the main point of what is being said is this. (laughs) We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. You see, you remember, you remember how I talked to, you, talked to you about how like in Exodus, there's all those, that part where you kind of skip because it's all the description of how to build the tabernacle, right? All of that was built by human hands with human resources. There is a tabernacle that exists that was built by God. And it is in heaven. And that's where Jesus' ministry is. Look at uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. Chapter 9, verse 24 through 26. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one. But he entered into where? Heaven itself. So that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as a high priest enters into the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to offer many times, uh, uh, suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Whew. Jesus' ministry, though it was on earth, is primarily in heaven. Jump to Hebrews 6, verses 19 through 20. Because Jesus' ministry is truly in the most holy of holy places, because his sacrifice was offered ultimately once for all before the Father in the true presence of the true tabernacle. Look at verse 19 through 20. Therefore, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Did you see that? Jesus got behind the curtain. There was this massive curtain that divided the holy from the most holy, right? Excuse me, that was a strange burp, pterodactyl up here, right? He div- this curtain divided, right? Remember what, did, what happened at Jesus' death on the cross? What happened to that curtain? From top to bottom, right? But Jesus, it says here that he entered behind the curtain into the most holy of holies. And because he was able to go in by his blood, we have an anchor there. That is our hope for our soul. What does an anchor do? It tethers you from a, to a single spot. You might revolve around it, drift near it, but it anchors you to a single spot. In other words, as Christ followers, we are anchored in heaven. Because of Christ. Now, there was something strange that he said at the end of this verse, in verse 20, Because he has become a high priest according to the order of who? I just wanted to hear you all say it. It's fun. Melchizedek. You're going to keep hearing about him over and over again throughout Hebrews. Why? 
Who is this guy? Look, you go back to, go to seven, chapter 7, verses 16 through 17. Actually, let's start at verse 15. And this becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. My goodness, who's this dude? Well, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 tells us, it explains for us the connection that the author is making from Jesus to Melchizedek. Look at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which in real Hebrew is king of Shalom, peace, was called priest of God Most High, who met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So the author of Hebrews does what we do whenever we read about Melchizedek. Where did he come from? Well, we don't have anything documented about him. Did, he, did his life end? No. And so the author of Hebrews says, yeah, that kind of high priest is the kind of one that we need, who came out of nowhere, had no beginning that we document, had no end that we document. And Jesus is said to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, as opposed to a priest in the order of Aaron and Levites. Look at verse 23 in chapter 7. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. In other words, because Jesus didn't come from the line of Aaron or the tribe of Levi, because Jesus is more like Melchizedek, he remains forever because Jesus has no end. He lives forever. And because he lives forever, because death couldn't hold him and he raised from the grave, He holds his priesthood forever, which means right now, in this very second, you have a priest. And he's on high. He reigns forever as priest. You know, you never have to vote on Jesus to renew his position in heaven, do you? No, you don't get that say. (laughs) We don't get that vote. He never has to be renewed in his office. And you know what else he doesn't ever do? He never sleeps. He never takes a break. Unlike those Old Testament priests who went to bed at night, closed down shop in the temple and said, oh, i got to go to bed. No, Jesus reigns forever. He never rests in his ministry. And death will never take him out of his role. 
Can you think about that right now? That Jesus loves you so infinitely much that even in this very second, He's ministering to you. He's ministering on your behalf by name before the Father. Your names are written in His scars. And He pleads them before the Father in heaven. And because He has offered the final and ultimate sacrifice for our sin, He provides us access to His Dad in heaven. We get God again. Now one of the things that that verse said, at the end of verse 25 in in chapter 7, Therefore He is able to save completely those who come to God through Jesus, since He always lives to intercede for them. So Jesus right now, in this very moment, is interceding for you. Coming in between on your behalf. In other ways, advocating for as a lawyer. As Romans 8 might talk about. Now the question that I hear a lot of people ask that I think we can come to this and ask ourselves is, is he, is he assuaging a wrathful, annoyed God? Is, is he up there being like, whoa, 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 God, don't, no, they're okay, don't do that, no, don't be so mad. Is that what his intercession looks like? What's the obvious answer? No. You realize that Jesus didn't like run away from heaven without his fathers knowing about it just to come get us? Like you realize that, that, that Jesus, when he returned to heaven, his father was like, oh, where'd you go? Oh, I went to go get them. Why'd you go get them? Out of all the things, like I wanted, I wanted the universe. I didn't want that world. Come on, right? When, when Jesus got back into heaven, his dad wasn't annoyed at him. Like, why would you go do that? No, God wanted us. And every time Jesus pleads the case of the cross on our behalf, before his father, his father is overwhelmingly delighted at the sacrifice that has been made. And he delights in the finished work. There's a, there's a hymn that was written by Charles Wesley called Arise, My Soul, Arise. I, I've never sung it before, and I have grown to love it in the last few days. This is what it says. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. The father hears him pray. His dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his son. His spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. Amen? It is a delight to the Father to have his Son on high, sitting at his right hand, pleading the cross on our behalf. 
Now, one last point that I think is very helpful. Just in case we started to think that Jesus, because he's in heaven and because he was perfect and holy and he was distant from sinners, just in case we started going too far that way, uh, that, that, that means that he's too far removed from knowing us. He's too far removed because he's in the heavens. One of the things that Hebrews tells us over and over and over again is that Jesus is a high priest like us. Can you read that with me? Jesus is a high priest like us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Verses 1 through 3. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He being those Human priests, the ones that have been appointed, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and those who are going astray, since he is also clothed in weakness, clothed in humanity. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. So according to that passage, what is it that makes high priests able to be gentle with those who come to deal with their sin at the tabernacle. What was it? It's their humanity. It's their humanity. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant. Verse 2, and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness You see, it was also his humanity that required a sacrifice to be made for his own sin. But we needed a high priest like us because we needed one who knows what it is and what it takes to minister to us in our struggles and in our weaknesses. And so this high priest is able to deal with us gently because he's a human just like us. Therefore, the application that the Hebrews author makes is that Jesus is able to do the exact same thing and even better because he became just like us and struggled with the very same struggles and was tempted in the very same ways we are tempted, and yet he was without sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 through 15. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil. And he might free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Do you realize that the incarnation, that Jesus condescending from his throne on high, laying aside his glory and radiance, putting on a cloak of humanity, being born in a manger, is God coming to deal gently and mercifully with you.
Look at verse 17 in chapter 2. Therefore, this Jesus, this Christ, had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. You know, there's another passage we'll talk about in just a minute, but it says that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Which means this Christ, this Jesus, is able to understand what it means to live in a world that is broken and fallen, in a world that has all sorts of difficulties, not least the need to struggle against temptation. Do you really think, do you really believe, are you convinced that Jesus understands what it means to be frail? What it means to struggle with sin? And not only this, but and not, not only does, does Jesus understand us better than any earthly priest, but because he never gave in to any kind of sin, he's actually able to help us out. He's able to provide a way out. You know, I, I, I don't know how convinced you are of, of how God knows you so deeply and knows your experiences and knows what you're going through and knows your struggles, not just simply because he's omniscient, but because he's experienced it. Like, do you, do you think Jesus has already forgotten the pain in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you think he already forgot what it felt like to feel exhausted and fall asleep in the bow of a ship? Do you think he forgot what it's like to rise really early in the morning to seek daily grace from his Father on high? Do you think he already forgot what it feels like to be betrayed or abandoned or alone or in need? Do you think he already forgot all of that? No. no he is able to sympathize in every regard. You know the song that we sing at Christmas time, O Holy Night. There's a, there's a chorus and verse in it. He knows our need to weaknesses, no stranger. Behold your king. This high priest, he knows our every need. He, he's, he's, he's not a distant, off-put friend or father. He, he he knows everything that we need in every moment. He's paying attention to it all. He knows how to counsel us in our weaknesses and in our struggles. 
He knows everything that you need when it's a late night and the kids are crawling into your bed and you're like, I need to sleep, and they're doing gymnastics. He, he knows what it's like every time when, when you have a boss who is oppressive to you, who, who, who doesn't seem to, to understand your humanity. He understands what it's like to have a bride wander off. He understands more than we ever know. Because Jesus is better. And so we have, we have these three points about Jesus being the high priest. That Jesus offered the perfect final sacrifice. That Jesus is now the heavenly priest reigning on high. And thirdly, that Jesus is a high priest just like us. To weaknesses, he's no stranger. Which means you and I, we don't have any need to to go find a human priest anymore. We don't need that. We don't have to refer to a human priesthood to mediate for us. Jesus is the best and he's the only. He has perfectly atoned for all of our sin. He provides us intimate access and an anchor to the Father in heaven. And he's able to help us in all of our weaknesses and in all of our struggles. So why on earth would we look anywhere else? Now, there's a way that all of this lands, and I want to land this because the author of Hebrews does so in in, in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. Get there, and this will be our last last passage. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our faith in him. Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, because all of this is true about Jesus, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, when you hear the word boldness, don't you dare start thinking pride. No, we're not not going saying, hey, I can come to the Father because of me. No, we come because of Christ. Boldness is not pride, it's confidence. And you and I get to have a kind of confidence that we have an anchor in heaven who is Jesus And we get to enter and go before the throne confidently, knowing that we're not going to be turned away when we try to go there asking for grace and help in our time of need. No, he's able to receive us because Christ is our high priest. In fact, later on in the book of Hebrews, the author continues this application in chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through the flesh. And since, he, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Brothers and sisters, you will not be turned away from the throne of grace. 
Is that your confidence? You have an anchor there. And his name is Jesus, our great high priest. Now, I don't know about you. When you are wrecked over and over again by habitual sin and constant doubt and worry, there's a way that those sorts of struggles seem like they're distancing the Father from you. But we find in God's Word this morning that there is a high priest who has never distanced himself from you. In fact, he has drawn near so that you can draw near with confidence. And so maybe this morning, your relationship with God, it feels so distant, it feels so far off, because you are just, you're you're carrying a sense of guilt that Christ carried on the cross. And maybe it's guilt from things long ago, or from things just this morning. Either way, the sacrifice has been made. You owe God nothing to atone for it. He's paid it all. So if you're feeling far from the Lord, feeling distant, feeling off, For any of those reasons or others that I I don't have time to go into. Because Jesus is a great high priest. Because he's before the throne of our Father in heaven interceding for us always. Would you get up off your face. Stop looking at your navel. And enter into the presence of God. Confident on Christ. Pleading his blood and asking every day for the daily grace needed to help in your time of need. That's what he wants. That's what he's made available. Christ has made the way in. Follow him in and see your high priest before the throne of God. In order for us to respond, uh, some of of us need to respond by going before God in prayer and confessing and, and lamenting, but doing so with confidence. Some of us have worried we've wandered off and gone astray. What do you think the whole story of the prodigal son is supposed to be about? You, you can come back. He's a father waiting for you. So some of us need to maybe get on our knees before the Lord and confess and, and thank the Lord for being our great high priest. But one of the things that we're all going to do together is we're going to sing through one final song called Before the Throne of God Above. And as the team comes up, if, if they could do that now, we're going we're gonna to join together in song, join together in worship of, of our great high priest. And, and if you don't know this song, my encouragement with you to be to just cherish every single word and see everything that we've just discovered in the book of Hebrews about Jesus as a high priest 
turned into song. And so if you guys would stand with me, I want to pray and then we'll sing together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are our high priest, that we no longer have to find someone to offer a sacrifice for our sin, but it's been offered once and for all, perfectly, on the cross, on an altar made of wood. Jesus, we thank you that your ministry wasn't just here on earth, but you live right now to intercede and to minister to us before your Father, before the throne. And we thank you that that you never get taken out of that role. You never get taken out of that position because you live forever and you reign forever. You live perpetually to intercede for us, and so we praise you. God, we also, Jesus, we thank you that you were like us in every way. That you know what it's like to be tempted with pride or lust or envy or selfishness. And you also know what it's like to never sin. Which gives us the greatest hope that if we stick with you long enough, that if we walk with you for all our days, you will sanctify us. And make us more unto like your image. So that we too can know freedom from sin. Day after day. The liberation of our souls. Now and forevermore. So Father, as we exalt your Son now. Who lives to intercede for us as our great high priest. Would you... Put him before our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, so that we might see him more fully, more holy. Transform us, humble us, shape and mold us, rid us of all of our sin and temptation. Keep us from evil. Rid us of our insecurities and our doubts by this great high priest and his ministry to us. In Jesus' name.